0: So we, we kicked off a series last week that we're calling, This Is What We Do. And we've been talking about this idea as a church, what is it going to take as relatively as a newer church, what is it gonna take for us to not just be a church that is here in a geographical location? A church that does not just exist in this city, but ultimately, if we were to pack up tomorrow and we left this city, that the church, that the city would actually say, "Man, we actually miss them when they're gone." We want to make an impact in this city. We're here to serve this city. So, we're talking about the different elements of what it's going to take to kind of have that mindset, and so this entire series that we're walking through is all about the idea of generosity. It's all about the idea of giving back. It's all about the idea of serving. Ultimately, this is what we do as a church. This is what we do as a people. But let's just be honest. Who likes, how many like things, how many you just love things? Uh, honestly, I'd say like I am a recovering stuff addict. <laughs> Any, anybody like when you go to Walmart or you go online or whatever and you, anybody like go for groceries and you're like, I'm only going to spend $100 and you come out spending 300. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, and your wife is like, you better go in there, only get this. And you're like, oh, sour candy. Well, we need that. I don't really need it, but we'll take it in anyway, right? And you, you get this collection, this list of things. Um, a few years ago, the worst thing happened, because stuff just got a whole lot easier to get. Let, let me put a logo up here on the screen. Anybody know what this is? <laughs> Anybody know what one-click shopping is? <laughs> like, you put in all of your stuff, and you're like, oops, I clicked it. Well, it's coming to my door. I might as well get it, right? You can get on Amazon, and you can literally buy the world. You literally can Anything you want, you can find it on Amazon, and they have perfected their system to be so efficient that you can get it in a day. If you live in California or on the East Coast, they have it now. If you have Amazon Prime, you can order something, and within two hours, it'll be at your door. Unfortunately, we live in southwest Louisiana. We're about 10 years behind everybody else, so it's going to be a long time before we get there. So why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this idea of stuff? Because the truth is we have become a people, especially in America, that just love stuff. We love things. We get a high when we buy new things. You get a high when you buy the new boat, right? You get a high when you just buy a new phone. You get a high when you buy a new trinket or gadget that's gonna break later on down the road. But we love stuff here's the truth. The Bible actually mentions the topic of money and possessions over, watch this, 2,000 times. Over 2,000 things. It's actually the most talked about topic in the scriptures. Now, let me illustrate it like this. I think the reason that Jesus talks about it so much is because the truth is we love stuff. And let me relate it to you like this. How many of you guys, just show of hands, how many of you are parents You have kids? You got kids, you'll understand what I'm talking about here. For about 18 months, you're lucky if you get that far, but let's just, let's just throw a number out there. For about 18 months, your child is usually pretty good, meaning they can't talk. <laughs> All they can do is maybe, you know, bottle feed, roll over, do something. And then usually the first word that comes out of their mouth is what? Mine. Mine. I have a two-year-old right now and he thinks that everything in the house belongs to him. If somebody breaks out a toy and they're playing with it and he wants it, it's his, it's, it's mine. How many of you over and over as parents, you've heard your young kids say, mine, right? You, you pull out your phone and they're like, mine. You're like, no, you do, you do not get that, right? We begin to see about 18 months how selfish kids really are. What do they do? That toy is mine, that remote is mine, that iPad is mine, this house is mine, your sleep is mine, <laughs> right? And it just goes on and on and on. I find it ironic that one of the first sins that all of us in here do is the sin of selfishness. The sin that everything that we have belongs to us, right? Like it's mine, I wanna hold on to it. So I think that the reason that God talks about money more than any other topic in the scriptures. Listen to this. He talks about money more than he does heaven. He talks about it so much because he knows that money and stuff is the number one thing in competition after our heart. It's the number one thing trying to grab our heart. It's the number one thing trying to rob our focus. It is the number one thing that's trying to snuff out any kind of generosity that God wants us to move towards. But since we've titled this series, This Is What We Do, since we want to be influential, since we want to be selfless as a church, we couldn't be talking about a more important topic. See, last week we talked about this idea of the scarcity cycle, I'll, I'll throw a slide up there real quick, maybe you remember this, and if you missed this, I'll catch you up to date real quick, go to the next slide, there it is, so the scarcity cycle is this idea that we consume, or God supplies what we need, we consume it, and once we consume it, we lack, and then when we get into a season of lack, what happens, we start to fear, right, when you don't have enough, you start to fear, and then you get into this mindset of consuming again, so here's what I want you to understand about scarcity. The scarcity cycle starts in the mind, not in the wallet. The scarcity cycle starts in the mind. Like you saying, I never have enough is not necessarily a bank account issue. It's a problem that starts right here. It is a mentality that begins to be birthed in the mind. Proverbs says it like this in chapter 23, verse seven. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. So if you always think and you walk around with the mindset of, I'm never going to have enough, what's probably gonna be the reality of your life? You're never going to have enough. See, once you start thinking this way, every choice in your life is tied to your skewed thinking, right, every decision that you make, every, every time that you wanna move forward in life, you have this scarcity mindset of there is never enough so we can't continue to move forward. But today I want to look at a story, and hopefully it will kind of shape our perspective. And, and if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably heard this story. But I want to point out a few things often that we miss. If you want to get ahead of me, I'm going to be reading out of uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 34, if you want to hold your finger there. But today I want to look at the story, how many of you heard the story of the feeding of 5,000? Where Jesus takes three loaves and two fish, and he feeds 5,000 people. Let me give you a little bit of context first about this story. Number one, you need to know this. Um, they only call it the feeding of the 5,000 because in Jewish custom, when they would count people, they would only count men. So I want you to understand there was only 5,000 men. Okay, But if you looked at the crowd, uh, theologians estimate that it was about fifteen to 20,000 people with women and children included. So the breaking of the three loaves and the two fish, not, not only does it feed 5,000, it feeds about 15 to 20,000. So let me give you an idea of how many people that is to fill. That is an NBA stadium full of people that Jesus is about to feed with three loaves of bread and two fish. So let's read the story so, you can, so I can catch you up where we're at, and then we're going to talk about it. Mark 6, 34 through 38. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what does he do? He goes, okay, I see some people that are lost, so I'm gonna start teaching to them. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This would be like, yo, Jesus, I mean, this sermon, it's really good. You know, people are really connecting with it, but we're hungry, (laughs) Like we're starving. We're at the point of what my wife would like to say. We're getting hangry. So you need to wrap this sermon up. You ever been in a church where you're like, dude, like I, I, got, I got the point. Just hurry up. I need to go to Burger King. I'm starving, right? So this is where they're at. They're at this place where like, Jesus, look, you've been teaching all day. We're starving. What are we going to do about it? So this is, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, Lord. They said, and it's already very late. So how about you send the people away so they can go to surrounding countryside and villages. Now watch their mindset, the disciples, and so that they can buy themselves something to eat. Now, I love Jesus's response. He goes, but he answered, you give them something to eat. And they're like, okay, um, I don't know if you've had your eyes checked lately, Jesus, there's about 20,000 people out there and there's no kitchen. We're not Cajuns. We don't just throw jambalaya in a black pot and get it going, right? What, what are we going to do? He says, no, 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 you give them something to eat. And watch the disciples' response. They say, Jesus, that would take more than a half year's wages, So take what you earn in an entire year and take half of that, and that's how much it would cost to feed all of these people. So they're looking at Jesus through the eyes of scarcity. God, there's not enough. Actually, there's nothing here. There's no kitchen. We can't go and prepare some food. We don't have any money. And if you're asking us to pay for this, it's going to take us a half year's salary to take care of this. Jesus is not even deterred by this he said, and the disciples say, are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now watch what Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? He asked. He said, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. The disciples come back to Jesus almost with a hint of sarcasm. All right, we did what we could. We got five loaves, We got two fish, what are you gonna do with that? Because there's about 20,000 people out here and this won't even feed us. These five loaves and these two fish is not even gonna feed you, Jesus, is not gonna feed all of the 12 disciples. What are we going to do? Now, I want you to understand this. This is important moving forward. There's two mindsets going on in this story. The disciples are saying, in order to meet this crisis, we need to go and buy something. Jesus is saying, if you wanna meet this crisis, you gotta give something. The disciples are thinking, we got to go buy, we got to take it on ourselves. I don't know how we're going to do this. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. There's plenty here. There's more than enough. You give them something. Now remember, scarcity is this mindset that there is never enough. There's never enough. The disciples are saying, Jesus, there's not enough. We don't even have enough to feed ourselves. See, here's what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. He wants them to know it's laughable how much you actually need in order to get how much they actually need. He's saying, listen, I don't need a whole lot. I just need something. I just need some willingness for you to say, yeah, we have more than enough and watch what I can do with it. But how many of have ever been there? You've looked at the bank account, you've sat with your husband, you've sat your wife and you say, we don't make it on paper. Anybody ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't make it this week. Or have you ever had the conversation of like, look, I know the grocery budget is supposed to be $200 and this week it's 75. Like, that's all we've got. You can look at certain things in your life and maybe you had a time when you were saving money and then something expensive breaks. Anybody ever been there? You're like, man, we're, we're, we're making it. We're doing it. We finally got caught up. We're not living paycheck to paycheck. And then all of a sudden your fridge goes out. <laughs> or your stove goes out, or something happens. For us, it always seems like car stuff. I hate cars, honestly. I love the fact that they get me from one place to the other, but I'm not mechanically inclined. So every time I show up in a mechanic's office, I feel like I get ripped off. Anybody know? <laughs> well, you need to change this, this, and this. I'm like, dude, just get it to work. That's all I need you to do, all right? I don't need a new windshield. <laughs> so please hear me on this. I'm not dismissing hard times. I'm not dismissing difficult circumstances. Here's what I'm saying though. I'm just saying, if you're not careful, the scarcity mindset will creep into every avenue of your life and you'll view life through the lens of, I never have enough. It's never enough will become your perspective for everything else. And what Jesus is trying to get us to in this story is this mindset of more than enough, this mindset of abundance, Meaning, here's what Jesus is saying, if you have a mindset of abundance, there's more than enough. There's more than enough here. We've, I know we've got 20,000 people, but all I need to do something is just a little bit of faith. I just need three loaves and two fish. That's all I need. See, Jesus viewed what was available through a vastly different lens than the disciples. And that's how generosity starts. It's not about how much you have. It's what you're willing to do with what you have. And oftentimes we think, well, when I have more, then I'll give more, then I'll live a lifestyle of generosity. Well, when I have more, I'll serve more and I'll do those things. And Jesus is saying, no, what What do you have? Because whatever you have, I can work with that. I can work with that. You notice in Matthew 14, 20, when the story comes to an end, I want you to notice something. It says they all ate and they were satisfied. This is talking about all 20,000 of them. They all ate and they were satisfied. And now, watch this when they had finished passing out all the baskets, and all the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. So, not only had they finished feeding everybody, but there was just enough left over for them to eat as well. So, here's what happens scarcity, that mindset asks, What can I afford? What can I do with what I can afford? Because that's all I got and I can't do much more. But abundance asks, what do I have? Can Jesus can do a whole lot more with what I have. This past week, um, if you know my wife, if you've heard her story uh, multiple times, you would know that she loves to run. And she's lately in the past few months, she's been training for a marathon. And uh, when you're training for a marathon, one of the things that you do is you consistently monitor your heart rate. And so for her to be able to do that, uh, I think it was about last year, she had got an Apple Watch, she had spent her own money on it, and, you know, it's, it's easy for her to look at it and monitor her heart rate, and uh, about a month ago, she, she nicked it on something, broke the glass, and it, and it broke the watch. Well, luckily, we have insurance on it, so Apple says, you know, look, you, uh, we'll send you a box, you pay us $75, dollars to ship it there, and we'll ship you a brand new one. And it's so like, awesome. So she takes it off, puts it in the box. We ship it over to Apple. Um, we wait about two days. The watch is not back in. And we're going, man, it should be in by now. We end up, long story short, we end up looking at the whole thing. And the tracking number said that it had made it to our house. And we're going, look, it never made it to our house. On the UPS, when you look at the tracking number, it says that somebody signed for it. Long story short, whenever it got delivered to our house, somebody stole it. Um, so we, we've been back and forth. You ever like when you're wanting to just, when you're frustrated and you have that, you're like, when I get on that phone with that customer service agent, like I'm gonna shred them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's just me, pray for me, okay? Um, and so we, she, had, she had gone like back and forth talking with these people. Like, look, we don't have the watch. I can prove that I don't have, have the watch. It's never been synced with my phone, all this kind of stuff. So she doesn't have any luck talking with him. I finally call. It seems like I'm getting somewhere. And uh, long story short, there's, there's nothing that we could do. So in the whole of it, when you look at it, she's training for a marathon. She doesn't have what she needs. And uh, we're going, man, we, we've literally lost probably four or $500 in this whole process. How many know like when you lose that amount of money, it just makes you feel sick? You're like, man, I, we, like, I invested into this. I paid for this. And then somebody steals it. And you just feel cheated. You feel robbed. And there is this thing that wants to kick in sometimes, whenever you find yourself in a situation like that, you go, you know what? I'm just gonna pull back my giving a little bit so that I can take care of what we have going on here and then I'll start giving once I meet that need. Remember thinking in that process, you know what? We're just still gonna continue to be faithful. We're still gonna continue to give and I know you need to watch, but we'll, we'll figure it out. I don't know what's gonna happen, we're, but we're gonna keep moving forward. We're gonna keep going. We're gonna still keep doing what God's called us to do and then here's what's crazy. Yesterday, she just randomly gets a text from a person that says, um, hey, I bought you a watch. She's like, wait, wait, what? And if you heard my story last week, how I told you how like just crazy stuff like this happens to us all the time. We'll come to the mailbox and there's a check from our, our mortgage company. Hey, you paid too much on your insurance or you did all these different things. And here's the truth. See, abundance asks, what do you have? What are you able to do with that? And if you just take it from that mindset, I have something, God, I can do something. I can give something. God says, I'll multiply that 10 times. I'll take what you have and I'll blow you away with what I can do. But here's the truth. Many of us have the mindset that when you have more in your bank account or you have a larger salary, then you'll start to be generous. But here's a fact the more you make, the tighter your grip on your stuff gets. The more you make, the more you tend to buy, and the tighter your grip on your stuff gets. See, generosity starts right now. Today, going, God, what do I have? What can I do with the little that I have See, right now we have to tap into this idea of abundance because God's economy works completely different than ours. It's very different than the world's economy. See, when we follow Jesus, he completely redefines what can be done with just a little bit. If you don't mind, I wanna do an experiment this, this morning and I want to show you what God can do with just a little bit of money. This is... A dollar. What can you buy with a dollar today? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Maybe a stick of gum. Maybe, maybe a drink at a gas station. You surely can't buy candy here at the movie theater, right? That's why all of you go to Dollar Tree and smuggle it in here. Shame on you. <laughs> you can't do much with a dollar, can you? You can maybe buy a drink out of the vending machine, maybe you can buy a pack of gum. There's not much that you can do with a dollar, but when you have a dollar and it's all that you have and people collectively say, well, I can do that. What would happen if today as just an experiment with whatever God calls you to give normally on a weekly basis, you just gave $1 more? What would that look like? When we said, okay, God's already called me to be generous and I'm gonna just trust him with just a little bit more with whatever I have. Because see, generosity, it doesn't take like, well, when I get there, then I'll be generous. God often entrusts people with a lot who will steward a lot well. So oftentimes the reason we fight God with the question of why don't I ever have enough? And God says, well, the reason I don't give you more is I can't trust you with more because if you take more, your mindset is all about scarcity. It's all about yourself. You'll take it for yourself. And the only way that I'm gonna bless you with more is when you can get your mind off of yourself and start thinking about other people. Then I'll overflow your tent with so much you don't even know what to do with it. And it's this mindset of abundance. And here's the truth. If you view life through the lens of scarcity, here's what's gonna happen in your life. You will always be fearful, you will always be anxious, but the truth is Jesus has a much better plan than your anxiety and your fear. Jesus has a much better plan than you always sitting down at your kitchen table going, there's never going to be enough, and you stressing out about it. The everything about God is excessive. Everything about God is abundant. Everything about God is saying that there is more than enough. But here's what the enemy does. He tries to get you into this mindset of scarcity. He even says in John 10, 10, the thief, what? Comes to only steal and kill and destroy. So he comes to rob from you. He comes to take from you. But what does Jesus do? He says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about everything in your life. See, when you start living this lifestyle that goes beyond you, that's not just, all about you, then you realize, man, I was put here on this earth for a purpose greater than just, you know, pleasing and satisfying my own life. When you begin to realize that, you start getting your eyes beyond you and you say, man, I'm here for so much more. You start tapping into not happiness, you start tapping into joy. A joy that stays with you through the most difficult times of life. A joy that sits with you when you walk through hard things and hard times and relational breakups or difficult times in your finances or a difficult time at work. You can say, you know what? No matter what goes on in my life, I still have this deep-rooted joy that is found in Jesus. But you'll never find that unless you start getting your eyes off of yourself. See, as a church, this is what we must do. Because the church is here, what? We're not here just for the people in these seats. We're also here for the people that have not yet sat in these seats. We give every week, not just for ourselves, but for the people that do not yet know Jesus. It takes some vision. It takes looking beyond ourselves. Many of you do not know this, but when we started this campus three years ago, um, there was people at our Jennings in our Eunice location for a year, they raised money, and they came up with $200,000. When we started this campus, they gave it to us. How many you know that's a lot of money? I don't know if you know this, but they say it, when you're a church, if you don't make it within the first six months, financially, you know, most churches don't make it past six months. We didn't have a worry in the world about that kind of stuff. We had more than enough to get our off the ground to buy everything that we needed to sustain us until we could become self-sustainable here as a church. But you know what it took for the other campuses to be able to do that? It took them giving to seats that they'd never sit in. It took them seeing way beyond themselves going, you know what? The gospel is not just about our city, but it goes beyond us. That there's people in Crowley that do not yet know Jesus or have not found the church home yet, and we'll give to that. And one day we'll have the opportunity to do the same for another campus, to be able to give to them, to help them start another church. See, generosity starts today. It starts with what do we have, God? So here's what I want you to understand. Number one, this is just a fact. You'll see this all in scripture. God multiplies what is blessed. God multiplies what is blessed. So I want you to know something in Mark 6 uh, verse 40. It says, they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. He blessed the food. See, returning the tithe to God releases God's blessing over every area of your life. We talked about this last week. If we're saying, okay, God, The first of what I have, I am returning it back to you. And here's what God says. If you can do that, then everything else in your life is going to be blessed. I'm not saying that everything in your life is just going to be peaches and cream and it's going to go well. Okay, don't hear me wrong on that. There's going to be difficulties, but blessings can often look a whole lot different sometimes than what we think they may look like. Sometimes that may simply just mean peace in your marriage. How many of you guys want peace in your marriage? Sometimes it may mean peace in your family. Sometimes it may mean, man, you've been fighting with depression and anxiety for a long time and God finally comes in and he meets you in that place. See, that's why Malachi 3.10 is so important when it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Well, let me clarify something about the tithe. So many of us think that the tithe is the 10% of our income and this is simply just not true. The tithe is the first 10% of our income. It is the first. So here's what it means. Every time you bring something in, you're asking God, what do you want me to do first with this? What do you want me to do first? Because remember, we talked about this last week. Whatever gifting that you have, whatever ability that you have right now, it is God given. And we, we have this tendency, especially as Americans to look at our lives and say, well, I worked hard for that. I earned that. This is mine. And God goes, well, hold on. Who gave you the gift and the ability to get out of bed in the morning? Who gave you the gift and the ability to lead people and do what you do every single day? God did. And when you realize that everything that you have in your life right now is a blessing from God, you say, okay, God, how do I return the first back to you. Now, why do we keep driving this issue? We keep driving this issue because God must be first in your life. And oftentimes, let's just be really honest, in most of our lives, the first place in our life is our stuff and our money. And so I think the reason that Jesus drives this topic home over and over and over and over again, because he knows that money has the ability to just wrench at your heart to control you, to move you, but you see when God is the first in your life, the rest of your life will be in order. So I want you to ask yourself this question. If you feel like your life is out of control right now, if you feel like it's out of order, if you feel like you just can't get things seated, if you can't get things going, ask yourself this question, am I putting God first or am I priority in my own life? See, if God's not first in your life, then everything else is going to fall out of order. But then I love what the scripture continues to say. Then he says this, test me in this. He's like, if you don't believe me, test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see, now I want you to notice these things, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. When I was reading this week, this text, I could not get these three words out of my head. So what is God meaning when he is going to open the floodgates of heaven? See, if I were to back you all the way back up to Hebrew culture, when this word floodgate was first mentioned, the people would understand what he was talking about. The first time it's actually mentioned, the word floodgate is actually in the book of Genesis, when Jesus said that he's gonna flood the earth, that he's gonna open the floodgates of heaven. So when a Hebrew man or woman hears this verse in context, when he says, man, if you put me first, I will open the floodgates of blessing, they understand immediately it is so much that it will consume us. That God will bless us so much if we put him first that it'll be more than we can contain. God is saying that I'll give you more than you can imagine. And it is like this reservoir that is held in heaven, like a massive dam that is just being burst open. See, I want you to know that God's not a stingy God. He's not saying he's only gonna do this when you pay up. He's not saying, God's not saying, the only way that I'm gonna bless you is when you start giving me your cash. That's not what God's saying. I actually believe that Jesus is here today. He say, I don't, I don't need your money. <laughs> I'm God, Right? I want you to understand that. Like, we don't give because God needs our money. We give because the enemy has the ability to control our heart with that money. A famous story that I read when I was in Bible college was by John Wesley. And uh, he traveled all over preaching the gospel. And he had an opportunity to make a whole lot of money. And he, he said this, he said, um, every time I would get paid, he said, I would make it leave my hand instantly. I looked for people to bless because he said, if I kept that money, he said, I knew that it would ruin my mission. And so when he died, it says the only thing that he died with was a silver spoon in his pocket and that's all he had to his name. But when you look at John Wesley and the impact that he had on the world, you'd go, oh my goodness. This man was a force to be reckoned with. John Wesley, I mean, one of the founders of the Methodist Church. I mean, you look at it and all of the great things that he did, and he understood that, man, if money seeps into my heart, it is going to control me. See, God's not stingy, but he, he understands this about us. He can only trust us with the abundance of heaven when we are willing to stretch our faith and put him first. God will only open up the floodgates of heaven if we take the first step. And how many of you know, like being generous sometimes, like 10%, and we talked about this last week, you're like, well, if I do this, if, I, if I'm really generous with what God has given me, I'm gonna have to change things in my life, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's what God is requiring of us. Because here's what I want you to understand. If your heart is all about you, he will never give you more. Because the truth is, if it's all about you, if he gives you more, you'll use it on who? You, <laughs> Right? So what is the floodgates of heaven? What is that? When you start looking at heaven throughout the scriptures, you see that it is the undiluted presence of God. You see that it is this overwhelming peace, this uncontrollable joy, this abundant provision. It is this idea that there is more than enough and you will never be in lack. How many of you guys want that? How many of you know our souls were created for that? Our souls were created to connect with a God who loves us so much, who constantly lavishes us with more than enough. But if you feel stuck in your faith journey and tithing or giving or generosity is not a part of your life, I guarantee if you start doing it, you'll see your faith skyrocket. Because here's the truth. When you start putting God first in your life, here's what it does. It releases the grip that you have on your own heart. And listen, I know that this is not a popular topic to talk about, right? We don't like to hear about this topic in church, but I think the reason that people gripe and complain about this topic so much is because we know the reality of how much our money actually controls us. How much it actually has a a grip on our heart. So here's what God's saying, like, hey, stop tipping. I want you to start giving. God's saying like, when you just come in and you yeah, I'll give you this or I'll I'll do this or I'll just whatever. God's saying, "No, no, I want you to evaluate your life and go, God, how do I put you first? How do I genuinely elevate you to a place where you're not just a part of my life, but you are my life? Here's what I want you to understand. I had to reconcile with this a few years ago. If you can't fully trust God, you don't trust him at all. If you can't fully trust God with everything that you have, you don't trust him at all. If we can't do that, it's like saying, God, I know you're good in all these other areas, but like my money, it's just mine. And I can't can't trust you with that. The truth is a lot of us want multiplication, but we're not going to do it until you understand giving, until you understand generosity. So the second point that I want to make is this. God will always multiply what is given away. God will always multiply what is given away. So let's back up to the story of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. I want you to notice something. Read with me in Matthew fourteen nine. So Jesus, he prays over the five loaves and the two fish. It says, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. When did the miracle actually take place in this story? There isn't a single mention in all four gospels that say multiplication happened after Jesus prayed. There isn't a single mention that says, when Jesus prayed all of a sudden, two semi-loads of, of food just dropped down from heaven. It never happened. But I want you to understand, they had enough food to feed 20,000 people. They had enough bread and fish, two semis worth of food. So when did the miracle happen? It didn't happen right after Jesus prayed. The miracle happened the moment, watch this, the food left the disciples' hands. The, The miracle happened the moment the disciples said, all right, I trust you, God, and I let go. The miracle happened the second that they took a step of faith and said, okay, I'm gonna take what you've given me and I'm going to give it away. Now, in most of our lives, this is counterintuitive to how we live, right? But to be a follower of Jesus is completely counterintuitive to the world that we live in now. Why? Because Jesus says, well, if you want to find your life, you must lose your life. How does that make any sense? Jesus also says the greatest will be the one who lays his life down to serve. Or if um, you have an enemy, love them. Turn the other cheek. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. It's counterintuitive to the world that we live in, right? Like the world says, get ahead of people and step on people if you need to. (laughs) Make some shady business deals just to get to the top. Or if you have an enemy, blast them and especially do it on Facebook so everybody can know, right? Jesus says, no, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. Jesus says, man, if you wanna find your life, if you wanna find your purpose, you gotta lose yourself. What you want and ask God, well, God, what do you want me to be? See, generosity is counterintuitive to how most of us think. Jesus is saying, if you want more than enough, it has to leave your hands first. If you wanna live a life that is blessed, he says, you have to be willing to learn this idea, this principle, this philosophy of giving. I can't tell you the most blessed people I know in life are the most generous people in life. They just are. They're people that behind the scenes are always asking God, how can I meet this need? God, what can I do? I heard a story this past week in our Jennings campus. My dad was telling it to me. They had a lady who for the past four years, she has two kids and she has not slept in a bed for four years. She doesn't have a bed, so she has kids. You know who sleeps in the bed? Her kids. So for the past four years, they had a guy in our Jennings campus that heard about this. He says, wait, wait, hold on. You have not slept in a bed for four years? So him and his wife went back and they don't have much, but they said, look, we have a guest room that has a queen bed in it and nobody slept in it in about two or three years. So they looked at, well, what do we have? We have a bed, she doesn't have a bed. This makes sense, let's give her the bed. So they give her the bed and this lady is overwhelmed by this act of generosity and here's what she does. She goes, there's, there's no way that I can ever pay you for this, repay you for this, for this bed. I don't have enough money. And they said, listen, just one day when something else comes across, you, know, you give back to somebody. And the guy looks at her and he says, you know what? Actually, today you can give back to somebody. And she says, I don't know how I'm going to do this. He goes, look, just pray about it. Think about it. So this chain reaction happens. She just gets given a bed. For the past four years, she's actually been sleeping in a rocking chair. And she finds out about this new mom who does not have a rocking chair to rock her baby to sleep. So what does she do? She takes her rocking chair and she gives it to this new mom. And this is what Jesus is saying. What do you have? What do you have? Stop making the excuse that I don't have enough. You have something. Because here's the truth. The world out there does not care about what you say you are. They want to see, do you live what you say you are? Listen, especially in South Louisiana, everybody says they're a Christian. They could walk into a bar and say, you're not a Christian. You're going to get decked in the face, right? Like everybody claims Christianity, but you know what really speaks to people is when you start doing something about it. You know what speaks to people the loudest when you take your life and it's not all about you and you say, well, I've got something that I can give. I've got something that I can display the love of God for. See, the moment the miracle happened is the moment that the bread and loaves left their hands. How many of you know when it leaves your hands, sometimes it's kind of like, all right, God, it's leaving your hands. And if you don't show up, I'm gonna be in a bad spot. And God goes, I love it because it's just a perfect opportunity for me to prove that I am who I say I am. See, Proverbs puts it like this in chapter 11, 24 through 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. It's just this principle. Man, if you hold on to things, Jesus is saying, you'll live this lifestyle of scarcity. You'll live this lifestyle of never enough. But if you learn to give things away, you'll have more than enough. And maybe you're not rich. Listen, this is, I'm not talking about the prosperity theology. I'm not, I'm not talking about people that get on the TV screen and say, man, if you give $10,000 and God, up not what I'm talking about. That's a bunch of garbage. A lot of that's not true, okay? What I'm talking about is what do you have? What is God calling you to do with what you have? What is gripping your heart? What can you say, God? I need to let some stuff go because honestly, this stuff has my heart. It has my heart more than you do. Ultimately, what Proverbs is saying this, if you remember anything that I say, remember this this morning. We are not reservoirs of things, but we are conduits of God's resources. Meaning, this, God is not calling us to just collect junk. He's saying, no, no. no. You are people that display my generosity to the world. You are people that say, I am given something so that I can give back to the world so that people can see Jesus in you. See, giving is what we do because it shows the world that we care. It shows the world that our peace is not contingent on what we have or what we don't have. Isn't that the beauty of it? The most joyful people in the world are people who honestly are anchored in Jesus as their peace, as their joy. I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world and sometimes when you go to these different countries when they barely have anything. I was in Kenya last summer and uh, we were at this orphanage and how many of you guys know what a fidget spinner is? I, I had this idea before we left. I was like, man, these kids in Kenya have probably never seen a fidget spinner. So I bought a bunch of them and I just stuffed them in my backpack. And we get out to Kenya, and I'm just spinning this thing out with all these kids, and these kids are like mesmerized by it. And I bought the ones like the little LED lights, I was showing it to them at night, and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I remember just giving them like these fidget spinners, and they just they literally thought they just won the lottery. (laughs) It was like that was enough for them to be joyful for the next two years of their life. I mean, you talk about people who every single day eat rice and beans and they're just so thankful and so happy just to get a meal. Like these kids are overjoyed to be able to eat and you look at it and you're like, man, it's so simple. But as Americans, we live in this, this culture that we're constantly bombarded by, we need more. Like marketing even plays into this, right? You got a new phone, but it sucks. You need another one, <laughs> right? You need the bigger one. You need the better one. Oh, you got one? Well, they have a bigger screen now. It's about a half centimeter bigger. The camera's just a little bit better. And we get into this mindset of it's all about us. And I'll be honest with you. Let me close with this. The reason that most of us don't give. The reason that most of us don't live a lifestyle of generosity because we just fear the fact that if we start giving, well, what's gonna be left for me? Well, if I give, God, well, are you gonna take care of me? What about me? So let me leave you with the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verse 31. And he says this, so do not worry. Let that phrase just seep into your heart. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and watch this, and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and watch this, and all these things will be added to you and given to you as well. It goes on to say like, do you see the dandelions, the flowers in the fields like freaking out if they're gonna get enough water? Oh, there's just this confidence, this deep-seated confidence of God's going to take care of me. You ever seen a stressed out squirrel? It just doesn't happen. What am I going to do? They're just confident. God takes care of them. Listen, some of you need this more than you think you do. Jesus is looking at you and he's telling you today, stop worrying about not having enough because if your mindset is always in this frame of worry and what am I going to do next, guess who your faith is in? You, not God. I don't know about you, but when I put faith in myself, this is pretty its pretty shaky ground. How many of you just have the ability when you get in your head too much, you can freak yourself out, right? And Jesus would say to us today, stop worrying about all that. If you learn to live a life that goes beyond you, guess what? I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. I'll meet all of your needs. I'm so passionate about this message because my wife and I have seen this play out year after year after year after year. I look at the money that I've given away and I'm like, man, I could have gone on five vacations with that. And the crazy thing is, Every time I give a little bit more, God continues to bless me. Sometimes it's not with monetary things. Sometimes it's not with money. Sometimes it's just, man, my wife and I are in a better season. My kids are doing well. My family's great. I just have this really positive outlook on life, even though the circumstances around me may be grim sometimes. I'll tell you this. I would rather a deep-rooted joy than a large bank account. I'd rather be at peace with God and look at my bank account and go, Well, I've got everything that I need, and then die and go to heaven one day. And God says, Well, what were you going to do with all that? Because I didn't give it to you for you, I gave it to you to bless you. I'll close with this story. There's a pastor, you may, may know who he is, you probably do. His name's Rick Warren, and he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. have of you guys ever read it, heard of it? Um, it's the best selling book of all time outside of the Bible of all time. Um, most people don't know about this. And whenever he, you know, he gets criticized a lot for different things. I don't know if you know this, but when he realized that the book was going to make tons of money, he signed over his rights to the book. Um, and everything went back into the local church. And he said, as God started in he said, this is what we did. He said, before I ever read, uh, before I ever wrote the best-selling book of all time outside of the Bible, He said 20 years before that, he said, my wife and I had made a commitment that every single year that we were going to choose to give back a little bit more than we did last year. And by the time that he wrote the book, he was already giving away 40% of his income and he was living off of 60. Today, he gives away 95% of everything that comes in and they live off of 5 And so you look at this guy and he gets criticized all the time. Oh, he's got millions of dollars coming in. And I I saw him in an interview um, a few years ago. I had a a privilege to go to a conference that he was speaking at. And they were like, man, what is the secret to all this stuff? What is the secret to being so blessed? And he said, I'll I'll tell you what it is. He said, the reason that God allowed me to write the best-selling book of all time is because he knew that when I was able to write that, then when all this money came pouring in, he said he knew that he can trust me with what I was going to do with it. He knew that it was going to go to advance his kingdom. He said, the secret is, he said, when all that money come in, he said, I still live in the same house I did 30 years ago. He said, this watch, I bought it at Walmart. I've had it for 25 years. He said, I'm just a simple man. I don't need a whole lot of things. He said, the reason that God has entrusted me with so much is because we made a commitment to live a lifestyle that says, God, you know what? It's not about us. And the truth is, once you can get to that point, it's the most fulfilling life that you'll ever live. Because generosity and giving, at one point, all of a sudden it starts getting addicting. It's going, man, I'm seeing God move and I'm seeing God do all these things and it becomes contagious. You wanna do it over and over and over again. So as I close, I just wanna challenge you. I wanna encourage you. If you're not living a lifestyle of generosity, remember, it's not about what you have in your bank account. It's about what you do have right now and what you can do with that right now. That's why I gave you the illustration on the bed. Sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's just going, God, what do I have? What can I do with what I have? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, I just pray that this morning, God, that you would just help us to be a church that adamantly and genuinely cares about being generous that you would help us to understand that we're, we're never going to reach this community as you have called us to if we can't be generous, if we can't live a lifestyle of generosity. So God, I pray that today we would just ask that simple question to ourselves. God, what do I have? And what can I do with what I have? God, that you would challenge us to increase our faith, to give more than we ever have. In Jesus' name.